Hey, my friend, welcome along to the Medicinal Chef's Nutrition Nuggets podcast, helping you get clarity on nutrition. I'm Dale Pinnock, the Medicinal Chef, best-selling author, nutritionist, and creator of Nutrition Coaching Monthly. Every week here in the podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions and discussing key topics around the field of nutrition to help give you clarity and to expand your knowledge. Hey folks, how the devil are you? Hope everyone is good. Well, this week's nugget is all about three nutrients that can benefit cardiovascular health. Now, obviously, nutritional improvement of cardiovascular health is a multifaceted thing. There's, it's, it's got more to do with the whole dietary pattern over a long period of time. But there are a few nutrients that pop up here and there that have been quite well researched and have got some really interesting mechanisms behind how they do what they do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Obviously, this is only relevant in the backbone of a good diet, a good healthy diet. You know, if you're kind of smoking 50 a day and living on Pizza Hut and then you just add one or two of these nutrients in, it ain't going to do anything. But in the actual context of a good healthy diet, improving and enhancing the intake of some of these nutrients may actually go on to give additional benefits. So we're looking at it from that kind of context. Now, the first of these three nutrients are, and if you followed my work for any period of time, this won't surprise you, it is the flavonoids. These are phytochemicals. Okay, so they're not actually a nutrient. that You can't get a deficiency sign in them if you don't get enough of them. But they are substances that can have essentially like a pharmacological influence upon our physiology. And in plants, they tend to be very, very strong, vibrant colour pigments. So probably the most well-known are things like anthocyanins that you would find in blackberries, blueberries, red wine, dark chocolate, those kind of things. They give a very, very dark, vivid purple colour. And just as a little side note, chocolate is actually purple. When you look at the um, the unprocessed cacao bean, it is a very, very deep, dark purple. So I wasn't just randomly adding that one in there. But these colour pigments given by flavonoids, what we're starting to understand about flavonoids now is they have some very, very interesting activity upon our Blood vessels been very widely researched, particularly here in the UK. The University of Reading under Professor Jeremy Spencer been some interesting work being done there. And what we're starting to understand about flavonoids is that they can actually be taken up by the endothelial cells. Now, the endothelium, this is the highly biologically active skin that lines the inside of our blood vessels. It's not just a simple barrier. It's very, very biologically active, and it's one of the keys for regulating circulatory dynamics, for example. What we found is that the endothelial cells, the cells that make up this inner skin, can take up flavonoids quite readily. And when they take up these flavonoids, the flavonoids trigger almost like an alarm response. They, they cause metabolic distress within the cell. And they cause the endothelial cells to start to secrete high amounts of something called nitric oxide, which is a gas. Now, endothelial cells secrete nitric oxide naturally anyway, but this metabolic distress caused by flavonoid uptake seems to ramp this whole process up quite aggressively. 
Nitric oxide will serve two beneficial purposes here. Firstly, it has a vasodilatory activity, which means that the nitric oxide leaves the endothelium and starts to move out into the muscular wall of the blood vessel. When it does that, it causes the muscle fibres to relax. As the muscle fibres relax, the vessel gets bigger, it dilates, and then simple physics kicks in. Because the actual vessel has increased in size, the pressure against the wall reduces. It lowers blood pressure. You know, it ain't ain't replacing a drug anytime soon, but it's kind of testament to how aspects of our diet can start to to benefit us in, in, in key ways. The second thing that nitric oxide will do is actually make the endothelium more resilient to damage. Now, the instigation of cardiovascular disease, like plaque formation, arises from inflammatory damage. We'll come to that when we talk about the next nutrient, which I think you know which one it's going to be. Inflammatory damage to the endothelium is what starts the whole cascade of events that ultimately leads to atherosclerotic plaques forming within the vessel wall. Anything that will actually enhance endothelial integrity will actually give us a little bit more protection against this kind of damage occurring in the first place. And nitric oxide expression does just that. So that's the first group, the flavonoids. In terms of application, think about getting as many deep, dark colours into the diet as possible. Reds, blues, purples. So things like all, all of, the, all of the, the blue and purple and black berries. Red wine, dark chocolate, all the good stuff. The next of the three nutrients, surprise, surprise, is the omega-3 fatty acids. Okay, now we do know that cardiovascular disease is in essence an inflammatory condition. Before cholesterol gets involved, before these fatty streaks actually start to arise, the thing that's triggered the whole set of events in the first place is inflammation. It's inflammatory damage to the endothelium. And it's like any other kind of lesion that arises in the body. Your body responds to that damage by instigating certain healing cascades and healing responses. So when when you get areas of rupture to the endothelium that's been caused by some kind of inflammatory event or physical trauma or the like, you know, it could be it could be oxidation of lipid derived compounds, it could be physical trauma, it could be potentially toxic substances from things like cigarette smoke, environmental pollutants, whatever. There's lots of different things that can cause the inflammation, and trying to cut out all of them would be pretty difficult because the the modern world we're living in is quite conducive to this kind of stuff happening. What we need to do is up our defences. Once this inflammatory damage occurs to the endothelium, your body responds by starting to secrete things like fibrin, fibrinogen, these kind of things. This, this, this lattice of proteins that help to kind of make that area of lesion more stable. And that's when circulated cholesterol gets involved and starts to get caught up in that, that fibrous network and burrow into the, into the vessel walls. And then the immune system responds and you get foam cells forming. The whole pathophysiological process of um, atherosclerotic lesions is is quite complex, and we can probably look at that in other sessions. But it's the inflammatory event in the first place that kicks things off. But then, once an 
atheroma, like the atherosclerotic plaque has actually formed in the vessel, continued inflammation can make that what we call unstable. And potentially, you could have atheroma in, in, in vessels, but providing you're living in, in a healthy manner, you're managing stress, you've got a good diet, you're, you're being active, you can actually make those plaques quite stable and they don't necessarily need to cause you any kind of problem. You can kind of put the brakes on and hold, you know, halt them in their tracks, so to speak. But if you're still getting prolonged inflammation within the endothelium, those plaques that are already there might suddenly rupture, become unstable. And that's when you can get a thrombus formed and that thrombus moves through the circulatory system. And eventually that could cause a cardiovascular incident. It could cause a heart attack or a stroke. So maintaining resilience against inflammation is of vital importance and one of the easiest ways to do that is to ramp up your intake of omega-3 fatty acids because omega-3 fatty acids get metabolized to form anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are chemical mediators that regulate certain responses like smooth muscle contraction, pain signaling, but mostly they regulate inflammation. You've got three types of prostaglandins, series one, series two, series three, Series 1 is mildly anti-inflammatory. Series 2 switches on inflammation, so it's pro-inflammatory. And Series 3 is aggressively anti-inflammatory. Inflammatory? What's that? Series 3, aggressively anti-inflammatory. Now, the right types of omega-3 fatty acids will cause your body to ramp up its production of the highly anti-inflammatory Series 3 prostaglandin. So EPA in particular. EPA, icosapentaenoic acid, this is a long-chain omega-3 fatty acid. Ideally, excuse me, ideally you would get that from oily fish. Oily fish, it's already preformed. If you're following a plant-based diet, if you're a vegan, you can get a supplement derived from algae that has got the EPA in it. Also, you will find DHA there as well. DHA has two benefits. It helps to increase the production of the mildly anti-inflammatory series one but also you get a, a secondary group of, of substances called delta resolvins from um, from dha metabolism that also help to reduce inflammatory load making sure you've got a good intake of these fats every single day will really help to keep inflammation in check so moving on to the third nutrient group, and this one, you know, this 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 is an area that's, that's starting to become a little bit more contentious at the minute. Soluble fiber, soluble fiber, it benefits our health in so many ways, from creating an environment conducive to the flourishing of gut flora and healthy development of gut flora, through to lowering cholesterol and that's the that's the part that's become contentious the actual cholesterol focus in the first place some people are really um dispelling or dismissing the cholesterol hypothesis now there's a lot of question marks raised over that and i'm going to be completely honest i'm really sat on the fence at the minute i really don't know i really really don't know because there's compelling data from both sides and it's one of those things when you've got compelling data from both sides, if you've got any kind of scruples whatsoever, really you have to turn around and say, well, I'm going to wait until the data develops before I make absolute recommendations. My personal feeling is, okay, like you know, we, we may have misunderstood the cholesterol link a little bit. 
But the kind of diets that would raise cholesterol are also the kind of diets that would potentially cause cardiovascular damage, particularly inflammatory damage, you know, diets that are very, very high in um, animal proteins and animal fats. You do get a lot of arachidonic acid in the diet. Arachidonic acid does increase the production of the series 2 prostaglandin, which is pro-inflammatory. So there could be a link that way. But the cholesterol hypothesis in itself is being questioned quite aggressively at the minute. But that being said, soluble fibre we know can lower cholesterol. Soluble fibre you'll find in abundance in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, beans and pulses. There's huge amounts in all of those foods, all of the good stuff. I mean, it's it's no shock. But what it does, the soluble fibre will actually form a gel-like substance in the digestive tract. And this gel-like substance will bind to cholesterol and carry it away via the bowel. And this isn't necessarily dietary cholesterol because that, again, is something that's been quite hotly debated. The consensus seems to be that dietary cholesterol doesn't impact serum cholesterol a great deal, but certainly different types of fats and also different types of sugars in the diet certainly can. But there have been some really encouraging results for people that have increased their intake of things like oats, for example. The oat beta glucan has been clinically proven to lower cholesterol because what happens is cholesterol is produced in the liver when it's produced only a small amount will go directly into circulation at that point the bulk of it will actually be then used to manufacture bile acids and be involved in the digestion of fats and will actually be secreted via the gallbladder but once they've played their role in fat digestion this additional cholesterol, the big bulk of the cholesterol that the liver's produced, will then get absorbed via the digestive tract and then go into circulation where it plays its normal roles of manufacturing steroidal hormones, maintaining cell membranes, these kinds of things. If you kind of head it off at the pass, if you've got a high intake of soluble fiber, that reabsorption doesn't take place. That reabsorption can't take place because the cholesterol is bound to this soluble fibre and it gets carried away. But because it's played such a, a vital role in numerous digestive processes, your body just starts to mobilise any cholesterol that's in circulation. Serum concentrations go down. It's that simple. Very, very simple mechanism. And it's a dietary habit that's a good idea anyway. So there we go. As I said, obviously the whole picture of supporting cardiovascular health via diet is a very broad and very complex one and it's not just about adding those three nutrients and there you go bob's your uncle fanny's your aunt you're set for life of course it's not about that but i just kind of find these you know these new areas of research quite fascinating and hopefully you do too which leads me on if nutrition is something that you want to learn more about then why don't you consider joining me in nutrition coaching monthly nutrition coaching monthly is your new monthly nutrition school. It's the nutrition community for people that are searching for answers, that don't just want to stumble around on social media or read a few lines in a magazine here and there. If you really want answers, if you really want to get in-depth into the subject, Nutrition Coaching Monthly has got you covered. This is my it's, it's, it's my, my like private members club, really. Every single month, I go live and I, I go in-depth. Okay, so with this kind of stuff, we are just scratching the surface here. We are just having the slightest 
tilt of our hats towards the complexities of the subject. In Nutrition Coaching Monthly, we take a deep dive. We go into the anatomy, the physiology, the biochemistry, and then how nutrition fits into all of this picture and how you can start to apply that information. But it's done in a way that anyone can get benefit from. We've got students that are high school students. We've got members in there that are doctors and nutrition practitioners. So it's very, very broad. The community is great. It's a really, really great platform. And then also once a month, I do an open floor Q&A, where you just jump online and you can get all of your questions answered. You can use me as your own private nutritionist, really. You can ask me anything and get to know other members of the community. It's a really, really great resource. We've got all sorts of other interesting elements coming to it soon as well, like expert interviews and your chance to actually put questions to some of the leading figures in the industry. It's a great, great platform. Just head over to my website, themedicinalchef.co.uk. Go to online programs and you'll see information about Nutrition Coaching Monthly there. And hopefully I'll see you inside. But until next time, my friends, see you later.